Hello, hello, and welcome to Hub Cymru Africa's podcast. I'm your host, Kath Molongo, and I'll be leading you through this series as we discuss what's important to the Wales Africa community. This series of podcasts are being recorded with support from the FCDO under the Small Charities Challenge Fund. As I'm sure you know, Hub Cymru Africa offer a range of support to the Wales Africa community, whether it's health fundraising, one-to-one support, advice, networking or training you're looking for, our support is free. Just get in touch by emailing advice at hubcumryafrica.org.uk. But first, have a listen to this podcast. Today, I'm with Wahura Kabutha. Wahura, could you please introduce yourself? Thank you for having me, Kath. I'm happy to be here. My name is Wahura Kabutha. I am a PhD student at Cardiff University. I am also the communications officer at SSAP and I'm also a content creator. Fantastic. Why don't you tell us about your interview? So I had the chance to talk to Vaughan Gethin, the Minister for the Economy of Wales. Lovely interview. I can't wait for you all to hear it. Yeah, we did have a lovely day meeting him yesterday, didn't we? We did. We definitely did. Okay, let's play the the interview for our audience. So we're going to get straight into the questions. Thank you so much for being here. Um, You're welcome. So how much of your childhood do you remember in Zambia and moving to the UK? Mm-hmm. And how has it shaped who you are today? So I don't remember living in Zambia. Mm-hmm. I was two when we left. Mm-hmm. My first memory of any sort is being put onto the tube in London um, mm-hmm. by my dad. So that was a whole thing about, I thought it was a monster that was eating people. Because there was a group of you know people on the platform, this thing comes along, these things open, close, and then that was it. So oh, yes, my dad had to, had to carry me and leave me in. Um, I was okay. Uh, but so my elder brothers mm. do remember okay. living in Zambia. But it was always something that you knew that there, there was, you know, another part of your life. And it, it's mm. it's funny because that was all just normal. Yeah. Because, you know, you didn't go into other people's homes and know that that was different. It was just, mm. well, this is normal. This is my family. Mm. And it's, as you get older you realize that other people really don't write to their granny in Zambia yeah um and actually you become more and more aware that actually you know other children in your primary school aren't like you mm. and it's only really at the top end of primary school going into secondary school become much more aware of the fact that actually it is pretty unusual for us to look like this and my mum is the only woman that looks like that in the whole village we lived in as well so um I saw Little Britain Atlanta mm. Brevi we really were the only black family in the village um, you know, and my dad was white, mm. um, and he was a vet, and so there was a big deal. So we understood that mm. he'd gone out to Zambia to work, and he'd mm. met my mum, mm-hmm. and that you know we knew different things about childhood. So we had pictures, black and white pictures of you know she ran a chicken farm. So there are pictures of us as kids doing stuff. Uh, there are pictures of us with our dad. There's um, pictures of there was an incident where a snake got into the um a python got into the chicken house and was eating chicks and my dad shot up and there was a picture of my dad with these men holding this this big snake so all those those things are not those things are not what other children had in terms of their memories they're different things but you know that's just part of who we are and my mum 
it's funny, it's Diwali week at the moment when we're having the interview. Mm. Uh, the Monday was Zambia Independence Day as well as Diwali. But the reason mm. I mentioned that is I was at a community event last night. It was mm. fabulous. And I got sent home with lots of food, which is great. Mm-hmm. But the other thing that was really unusual about my family was, you think about this is now over 40 years ago. Yeah. We were the only family mm-hmm. that had curry at home. No one else talked about it, oh. you know. So my mum would make curry. She'd make chapatis, make curry. Oh, and she learned that from other women, mm. which she met through the Women's Institute. She had a red notebook of recipes. Mm. And it, it was as we got older, we realised, well, actually, other people don't do this. They don't make curry in their own homes. And when I grew up, there was one uh, curry house mm-hmm. um, that was several miles away. And now... You know, there's several in most towns and villages. And the friends that I have, who I went to, pri- to playgroup and primary school with and still friends with now, mm-hmm. their children eating curry is a really normal thing. Yeah. And they'll make them, whereas actually at that time, that was really unusual. Mm. And so all those things come from that part of our life. Yeah. Well, you mentioned chapati and I lit up because <laughs> one of my favorite meals <laughs> Chapati and some stew. Oh, my yeah. goodness. Um, when was the last time you were in Zambia? And I haven't been back to Zambia. Oh. And it's one of the things I definitely want to do. Okay. And so at one point, it was about money and the opportunity. Yeah. And then, since being elected, mm-hmm. it's a different challenge of time. Mm. And for me to go back to Zambia, I'd really like to go but I'd like to go at a time mm-hmm. when I could take my family with me as well. Yes. And, you know, if I went there, I'd like to spend some time just us as a family, but mm. there's also the reality that I'd probably end up doing some ministerial things there as well if I was going to do the trip. And it's about the time of year. So I, you know, I'd love to go back and see my mother's side of the, my of mm. my family and to meet some of them. But I'd also, you know, I'd like to take my son and my wife to go and see Victoria Falls. Yeah. Apparently I've been there as a child, but I don't remember it. <laughs> So to see it as an adult and to think at the time of year yes. to do it. So it is one of the things that I definitely want to do. Mm, it's on the bucket list, mm. along with Kenya and Somalia. Yeah, um, well, <laughs> well, well, maybe Zambia might be a little yeah. higher up the list than fair Kenya. Enough, uh, fair enough, <laughs> fair enough. Fair um, enough. If you had a chance to pick a superpower, which one would you pick and why? Oh. Um, because I really like mm-hmm. um, comic books and I've read lots of superhero stories. Uh-huh. Marvel? Uh, yeah, Marvel. Marvel mm. more than DC. I know. Uh, so <laughs> I guess actually the ability to think through problems. So if you're really into the X-Men mm. and you think about Forge, he can create lots of things. Mm. And it's because the, prob- the problem is that with, if you say, I want to be super, super intelligent genius, actually, you still need the empathy and the understanding, not to say I'm really clever, like, mm. you know, Reed Richards. You've got to have the human side to understand what that is. Mm. And they able to think through problems and answers, I think would be an amazing superpower to have. And I'd much rather that than be able to move things with your mind or read other people's minds. That could get very cluttered and very difficult. Or fly, you could fly back to Zambia for like a quick trip. Yeah. <laughs> for the then, day. <laughs> I, th- I think I could do more if I had the ability to to think through and to always say there is an answer to this problem and I can find mm. what the answer is, you still then, like I say, need the, the human part of it. So like to come up with solutions quickly yeah. and effectively. Yeah. Okay. Otherwise your power is about how you can destroy things. Yeah, that's, yeah. You know, but that's, yeah. you know, that's normal that they come with. This is a creative one. Although apparently the power of Thor mm-hmm. is also the power to create things. Oh, I didn't know that. Well, yeah, apparently so. Oh. Apparently so. 
Interesting. Okay. Mm. Okay. <laughs> so let's say you are stranded alone on an island and all your basic needs were satisfied. So that's water, food, shelter. Okay. Um, what would you do to pass the time? Um, I don't know. Is this me on my own or are my family there? Okay. You on your own. Me on my own? Yes. Just your alone time. Okay. Well, if it was just on my own, I didn't have books to read or things to watch. Um, so I think they would be how, how bored you get. If your basic needs are there, I'd then want to find something else to do with my time. And actually, if it's just you on your own, playing sport, something you normally do with other people, mm-hmm. um, I don't mind going for a walk as a... Actually, I quite enjoy going for a walk as a break between doing other things to mm-hmm. give yourself some space to go mm-hmm. back and be refreshed. And we have a dog now, and walking the dog does help you to take some time out from doing yes. other things. Yeah. But... Actually, I think the thing I'd find really difficult is all the things I'd miss. And I'd have to do something to distract myself. From? To, to, well, from missing all the people and the friends and the connections. Because that's what makes life worthwhile, isn't that's it? That's true. Say you're with your family, maybe. Well, if I'm with my family, then passing the time, I probably mm-hmm. it's one of those odd things. You want to have time with your family, they always put a little bit of time away. Okay, yeah. But actually, I could end up, um, you know, end up playing games with my son. He would definitely want to play Aww. games, but to give other things we met. And I'd also like time just to spend time with... It's funny to spend time individually with my wife mm. and my son as well as time together. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'd probably end up trying to make things for us to stay together. Because I think basic needs, like I like a bit of gardening, but mm. that's a pastime. Yeah. It's not a... Um, it's, you know, whereas in this situation, you probably need to do it to cater a for our basic to, needs. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Enough, but actually, if, I, if if it was one of the things what you take, I'd like things to read. Mm. Um, and my son really loves reading as well, and my wife mm. too. So actually, you know, because that takes you away from things, and it's something about pleasure. And you almost always end up learning something from that as well. What kind of books do you like? Do you like reading? Oh, I read. Well, I like history. Okay. I like um, historic fiction, mm. uh, but it's science fiction. I. I'd happily read lots of comics with my son. For him, obviously, not for me. No. <laughs> oh, that's the cover-up. That's the cover-up. <laughs> Fair enough. Just him. His son is reading. No, but I uh, I think I've quite a wide selection of things that I'm prepared to read. Mm. You know, so, you know, but I, I do like history and um, biographies of different figures, but I do enjoy reading fiction as well. So mm-hmm. there are times where you want to read a book that will challenge you, and other times you just want the book to past the time yeah just relax your mind yeah yeah without having to think too much about it yeah and it's and it's fine to enjoy reading either one as well true as long as you're reading opening up your mind yeah it's good um how would you describe your job to a three-year-old well that that's around the same is that around the same age as your son no my son's eight eight oh never mind so when he was in this picture so so, yeah so (laughs) i would say um my job Mm-hmm. Is about making choices for the country on how to help people. So we try to understand what we can do to help people to have an even better life. Mm. And that can be difficult sometimes because we don't have all the money that we would want to do, so we have to make choices. Mm. Like in your family, you make choices about what you eat, what you drink. We have to make choices like that. But for everybody as well. Um, with slightly older children, I'd point out the school council. I'd say, mm. do you know who's on the school council? 
they sit down together with other people to talk about how they can help to improve the school and they have to make choices about what they can do and what they can't do so they think about all the things they want to then they have to choose well that's what we do in my job as well oh wow that's such a simple way to explain it as i was thinking of this question i was like i'd wonder how you'll break it down that's perfect <laughs> Um, who has had the greatest impact on your political career, would you say? Um, well, when I go to a slightly different question, I say Nelson Mandela because okay. he was like the big hero. Mm. But that's because when I grew up, he was in jail. Um, it was one of the points about the awakening of understanding who you are and why you're different, that if I was in South Africa, I wouldn't be allowed to play with my friends. I wouldn't go to the same school. Mm. My mum and dad couldn't be married. Um, we couldn't be together. Um, and then to see him and the journey through that he was vilified in large parts of mainstream press mm. in Britain during mm. parts of my childhood, mm -hmm. to then people recognising he was part of the future and him coming out of jail, winning the election and the truth and reconciliation process. And that's a big study in, in leadership that recognises that you have to do things you may not want to, but if you want to deliver a better outcome, then you sometimes have to say actually the obvious choice isn't the right one to do because the truth and reconciliation process was not the obvious outcome mm. on him attaining power as a president of South Africa. Mm. And you know, within that then there are lots of people in politics in, in Britain from, you know, previous leaders of the Labour Party to um in a very practical sense, when I was in student politics, mm -hmm. the person that I thought was most inspiring on first meeting was a woman called Dot Hodge. And she was the president of Cardiff Students Union. Mm -hmm. Um, at one point in time, and I met her when I went to a student conference. It was the first one I'd been to. And she was a big presence with lots of pull, but mm. she was also really capable. Mm. Um, and, you know, she was a black woman, um, but she was in that environment and arena and someone that people look to for leadership. And mm. she's loads of fun. Still talk to her, still, still meet me. So she's, she's only a year or two older than me. Um, but, yeah. So Dot, on a very practical, made a big impression on me mm. and helped with things that I then thought were possible and wanted to do. So she swayed you towards that path? Was it like an aha moment? You watched her and you're like, oh, I want to get into this. Uh, it was partly that. I was interested enough, but it was also seeing there's someone here who has got presence and charisma and to walk along mm -hmm. and to say, actually, this it's all those things about the next step and to think, here's someone who helps to make it possible. She didn't sit down with me and say... I want you to think about who you are and what you do. It was actually more about the example of seeing her and the way she went about things. Yeah. An example of how people set examples to people yeah. and have an impact and they don't even realise. Exactly, without thinking about yeah, it. Yeah, just how you carry yourself. Hmm. And look, now we have a Minister of Economics in Wales. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so are there any aspects of being the Minister of Economics that you prefer to being the Minister of Health or vice versa? There are some things you enjoy, some perks, some um, dislikes, both. When I was a health minister, mm -hmm. um, it's a really, really hard job. Mm. Um, and particularly so through the pandemic. Oh, yes. um, but you meet amazing people. And in this job, you meet amazing people with a different aspect on life. Okay. So you see what someone does in our health and care system and how it transforms someone's life and what not getting access to that does for people who can't get there. Mm -hmm. And you've got a big machine through the health and care system that 
is constantly in need of reform and improvement because if you try to stand still, you'll get knocked over. Whereas in this job, it's a, it's a different challenge. Okay. So a challenge is from what I... What is one of the things that is definitely different is that mm. in this job, you do have to think about where you get investment from within the country, how you try to improve the economy by working with people, improving in skills, and part of it is the international aspect of talking to different parts of the world that have an interest in investing. So I never had to do the international travel in the same way mm. um, as health that this job requires. Um, so I enjoy the differences, and I do miss health, actually, mm-hmm. which sounds like an odd thing, but... I do miss it because I met so many, like I said, I met so many amazing people. But it was the right time to move as well, I think, because, you know, I was a minister in that department for nearly seven years. Oh, and you you do need to make sure, I think, that you're not getting stuck in seeing things in one way and to be able to refresh and have a, a challenge that looks at you and says, I now need to think again about, are we really doing the right things? Mm-hmm. As opposed to just carrying on the way you are. And that's... That's hard sometimes because you don't always realise that's what you've done. Mm. Um, so yeah, I yeah I miss the people, mm-hmm. uh, but I enjoy the opportunity to look at different challenges and again to see how this part of a rolling government mm-hmm. can still help to change and transform lives in a different way. It sounds like you're welcoming to change, like you're very adaptable. Yeah, at, at some point you different. have to be able to change yeah. and adapt. Um, and that is part of the challenge. You know, you're still part of the same government, mm-hmm. but True. changing roles mean you have got to learn new things yeah. in a level of depth and detail, so you can do the job. And you then got to be prepared to not to not go in and say, "I would accept anything that I'm told, mm. and everything that's happened before me is wrong." So you have to go in and accept that this is how things are now, but also to try to take a perspective on what do I want to do, mm. and are we actually doing that? So there is. There's there's learning, but there's challenge in doing that as well. Challenge, yeah. It's healthy. Good challenge. Yeah. Being comfortable with being uncomfortable. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, now, how do you think people? No. How do you work? Sorry, with people who don't necessarily understand your struggle, quote unquote, as a black man or black politician, like people who say, for example, I don't see race in the UK. I don't see race in oh, Wales. Okay. <laughs> you know the saying. Well, I think there are two things to say. One is, for some of those people, it just doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. You don't need them to understand your struggle because actually I'm here to make decisions. Whether you understand what it's taken me to get here or not, I'm still the minister making these choices. And I still have to be able to stand up and say, here's why this is the right choice to make. It's difficult, but these are things I've thought about. And so this is what I'm doing. So in some ways, it doesn't matter because I'm here. And, you know, it's, it's all that point about, more and more people are getting used to seeing someone that looks like me and you making these choices mm. for the whole country and the government. And that definitely happened in the pandemic mm. where, you know, having to be on the screen, not just in the press conference once a week, but all the other things that you mm. had to do, you know, you, you know, if you watch the news, you couldn't really avoid me for, mm. um, <laughs> for a good bit of time. Uh, and to see me alongside Mark, and so m- lots of people are used to seeing someone like Mark making decisions for the country, and so in some ways that's comforting and normal. But then see me uh, in another role and seeing me regularly, that does make a difference. And I was at an event with the German ambassador a few weeks ago and someone came up to me and said that um, her stepson, who looks like me but is a good bit younger, uh, he's at school and he'd said about you know seeing me on the television thinking, 
what's he doing there? Why is he doing this? And then isn't it great that there's someone who looks at them who's making choices? That whole thing about, you know, genuinely seeing someone do that does make a difference. So for all those people who say, I don't see race, in some ways it doesn't matter because other people do and it matters and I'm still going to make the choices. The second thing I'd say is that when people want to proactively say, I don't see race mm-hmm. and um, it doesn't matter to me. It's mm-hmm. like, well, the problem is that those people aren't interested in having the conversation. There's a relative, for some people, it can be, well, I'm not a racist, mm-hmm. therefore it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. But actually, you need to understand why it is that the outcomes of people that look like you and me are different to the rest of the population. Now, mm-hmm. in, global, in global terms, the outcomes are still different. And if you're not prepared to try to understand how those choices make, and the fact that it isn't still entirely normalised for people like us to be successful mm. in every aspect of life. And if you keep on going back to what you think is that's what that person should look like, mm. you keep on making it more and more different, difficult and uneven. And that means it isn't just the unfairness that affects people who think, why am I being rejected all the time? Uh, but that, and it isn't always a conscious choice to deliberately yeah. say, I definitely don't want someone like that. Mm. It's the point about what is unconscious. And I think... Mm. Some people think that when you talk about unconscious bias, you're saying that secretly everyone is an evil racist. And actually what you're saying is, well, actually that, that isn't what we're trying to say. But yeah. if you don't understand that someone that looks like me, um, with someone with the same qualifications and experience, mm. that actually if you want to move on in a normal organisation, the person looks like me is more likely to move on more slowly. Yeah. And that isn't about their talent, about their ability. Like, well, what does that mean? And from a business point of view and a public service point of view, you are missing out on the talents of that person, what they could and should do for your organisation. There's an awful lot of evidence that the more varied a workforce is in terms of its people, the more likely it is to see different perspectives. So this matters about men and women, mm-hmm. um, as well as race and disability mm-hmm. um, and sexual orientation. All those things matter. And actually, the more diverse your workforce, the more likely you are to capture the talents of everyone and to make the best use of them, to make better choices. Mm. So there's actually um, an enlightened self-interest mm. in getting this right. And But the way to persuade people to come along with it in that journey is both it's some challenge and yeah. some nudge. Um, and it's not you don't have to run away from the debate, but how you have the debate really matters. Um And I think that's one of the lessons that we need to learn is that if you walk away from that debate and you allow that space to be taken up by people saying, well, race doesn't matter anymore, Mm. don't be surprised if you find a pushback and that actually you'll need to recover ground that you thought you'd won. So it's part of it. So on the one hand, in some ways it doesn't matter, but actually to make the progress we want to, it does. And that's why we have a commitment to being an anti-racist country Mm. and we ought to proactively talk up the opportunities of recognising people's talents, as well as saying where we know bias still exists, mm. that we will be prepared to do something about it. Mm. And, you know, the curriculum reform is one part of it, mm-hmm. but I think it really matters. It's not just a symbol. Um, but it doesn't just matter for my son mm. to understand black history as part of Welsh history. It matters to everyone. everyone. So when people say these people don't belong here or they're not really like us. It's like, well, yeah, but, you know, people from Tadiga are different to people from Port Albert. Mm. And yet they're all the same, aren't they? Mm. And, you know, people don't really say that they don't belong in the same country. So you can see difference where you want to, but you also need to recognise that 
the history of Wales is entwined with so many other parts of the world, mm. including black people, for a very, very long time. You know, we didn't all arrive on the Windrush. Mm. Yeah. You know, there's a reason why there's been difficulty as well as positivity in that mm-hmm. relationship. There's a reason why there were race riots in 1919 in Cardiff. There's a reason why lots of black people in the Caribbean and North America have Welsh surnames. Mm. And you should understand that, as well as understanding all the things that were, if you like, what we now recognise as the more progressive side. Mm. That's part of our story. Yes. And to understand that, warts and all, I think helps you to be more at ease with who we are today and who we can be in the future. Oh, wow. I love what you've said, especially about um, seeing people of colour and seeing yourself on screen. Mm. And it's reminded me of how, for example, um, I don't know if you've heard of The Little Mermaid. Mm. That So there's uh, the movie that's come out mm. recent, or will come out recently, and the actress who's playing Little Mermaid is a black actress. Mm-hmm. And there was a lot of controversy about it. But there's also lots of videos of people watching it, like young girls watching mm. it. And they're like, oh my gosh, I'm so excited. Mm. She's black mommy, she looks like me. Yeah. And it just reminded me of that when you said that. So, wow, that's it's very important to see mm. yourself being represented. It means a lot. Mm. Um, speaking also of our pe- black people in uh, the UK, what do you think are some of the financial issues that black minorities face? And how are your policies improving our well-being? So black communities are more likely um, to have lower income, more likely not to have the same educational achievements, Mm. uh, more likely to be less well off. Mm -hmm. So the challenges in cost of living will affect people who have less income and less protection against changes as well. Mm. So it isn't just your current income level, it's how resilient is your job, how secure is your job. and so there'll be a disproportionate impact compared to the rest of the population overall. Um, so that's part of the challenge in what's happened in the cost of living crisis and the choices that are made about spending choices. But it's also about going back to an earlier point about recognising the talents that exist in uh, in all parts of the country. So you know we proactively think about uh, champions for enterprise in a range of areas. We have networks of different things, including people who are are champions and role models for um, for people of colour who want to start a business. Mm. Uh, and so we do think about And actually, we went through a little while ago some of our figures on who's coming through for support for our enterprise programmes and entrepreneurship programmes. And actually, mm. um, black and other visible minority people are a larger proportion of people being supported in that than the population as a whole. I think it does show in many parts, you know, if you've got to get on yeah. and you've got to be able to do something to feed your family, actually it's something quite entrepreneurial about having to manage and to do them, about how you manage your money, how you do something else. And actually, you know, we can provide figures afterwards, if you like, on the, the show that we both have programmes targeted mm-hmm. and wanted to get more people like you and me successful in education and successful in business and we're already attracting people mm. into those programs to help start businesses up. And our challenge then will be how we help those businesses to grow. Okay. Well, that's encouraging. That actually is one of my other questions that we'll get to. But in one of your interviews, you talked about, um, are you a black politician or are you a politician who's black? Mm-hmm. And I wanted to get your thoughts on how, for example, um, 
um, as black people, there's this stereotype that we kind of have to run or shun away from. So, for example, there's the assumption that, you know, we're we are angry. So in a situation where mm. you are getting agitated, you have to keep calm mm. or show that you're slow to anger. And how, for example, it this affects us even in the workplace. Mm-hmm. So how do you, what would you advise someone who's getting into um, the political arena and dealing with these stereotypes that other races, white races, don't have to think about. You know, I've I've talked about this this challenge of the stereotype, and mm. you know, being an angry black man. You know, yeah. you can't say anything because I'll take it the wrong way, all that sort of stuff. But actually, it's part of working with and influencing other people, uh, and it is about, you know. If you could empathise with other people and try and see things their perspective, it often helps you to get things done. Uh, and actually, getting angry is 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 not always a great way to move other people to your side. Yeah. Uh, and you know, you can be passionate and you can be angry. And the other thing about getting angry is if you lose control over what you're doing, mm. then actually that can be a real challenge in bringing people back with you. Mm. Um, so you know, the first minister recently got angry. That in itself was visible Mm -hmm. because it's very, very unusual for that to happen. Mm. Um, If I had been in that position, Mm -hmm. I think we'd have probably seen some different commentary around it. Um, But then, you know, so I think there's there's always a challenge. I'd say to other people who are looking at getting interested and involved in politics, you still think about why you want to do it, Mm. what you want to achieve. You also need to think about the support you've got to do that. And I still think if if I can maintain enough focus and control on what I'm doing and to still demonstrate that I'm passionate and I care about what I'm doing, mm. w- in whichever political party you're in, you're much more likely to make progress. And it is one of those things about the ability to take a step away from time to time to see what you're doing and to understand how other people see you as well. Mm. Uh, and that's not just about dealing with um, how other people might see you. It's actually about wanting to be, well, who do you want to be? And how do you want to be successful as well? So it's um, the challenge is often more than one dimension, mm. and tr- and I think a lot of that comes down to have you got friends and supporters who will be able to tell you how they see you. Oh, okay. And you know, if, having honest friends is really, really important. I think in most parts of life, especially in politics, mm. you need to have the people who you know are always going to be on your side. Mm. But some of those people also need to be people that you're prepared to listen to when they're going to tell you something uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Or to say, I think you got that wrong. Uh, because you need to hear that. Mm. You know, and if you're not prepared to listen, you only have people who will tell you what you want to hear or that you've been brilliant. Well, in any walk of life, I think that's dangerous. Um, and because we are still judged differently, you know, and I recognise that, I think it's even more important because it, you're creating space for other people. Mm. And st- you know, whatever happens with me, I hope that there is space that's being created for other people and those people create more space for the people that come behind them. And it's about accelerating that change and wanting to make space for other people to be successful. And that's a really important thing mm-hmm. to think about what you do in your job and the broader impact. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, I hope what I'm doing helps to do that. And I also hope that people think that, you know, you, you don't have to give up on who you are mm-hmm. if you stay... Um, well, then have a focus and control and you create space for yourself to take a step back and have that honest conversation with people around you who will support you, but be honest with you.
I like how, what you said because it goes back to setting an example and mm. carrying yourself with integrity mm. and worth and maybe not looking for that validation outside, mm. as you've mentioned. Well, yeah. not everyone will validate you because not everyone wants to see you succeed. Mm. And sometimes just because people are in a different tradition and you know they will, it doesn't matter who's in front of them, they, mm. they just won't agree with you. Yeah, That's part of it too. That's part of the game. Charge it to the game. Mm. <laughs> um, so my last question um, so you've talked about how small businesses play a critical role in the delivery of public sector projects um, so describe the government strategy for easing this cash flow um, burden and how far it's come because I know you've talked about a framework um, in 2017 mm. and another one a procurement one in 2021 mm. so how is that going and how Will small businesses be elevated, especially now, or helped? So through procurement, um, we've got a piece of um, procurement legislation going through. There's mm. legislation going through the UK Parliament. We also have a social partnership procurement bill that's mm. uh, running through here. And I think that will help. I think the work we're doing, interestingly, yesterday I was at an event that was on employee ownership, but it was with an organisation called CLES. They're the... Um, they're, they're an organisation that does research on how to essentially uh, improve and increase the local economy mm-hmm. and to keep more money local. Mm-hmm. That's both about procurement mm-hmm. and about recognising if you target your local procurement to try to maximise local spend, that'd be benefits to those local businesses, mm-hmm. but it also means that your money stays as local as possible. Mm-hmm. And it's one of the things that we have done progressively at various points in time is to make sure that as far as possible we're procuring on quality, but we're also making sure that uh, we deliberately create space for local firms to win business. Mm-hmm. And you see that in lots of our public procurement projects. If you look at 21st century schools, they'll all be able, because of the framework we have for them to use, mm-hmm. that they are expected to demonstrate their apprenticeship and traineeship outcomes for people on the site. And they should all be able to describe where the money's spent. So whether the people they're contracting with mm-hmm. are local and how local. And that's really important. Yeah. And same in if you go to a hospital project then if you go to prince charles in Merthyr, mm-hmm. the health board there could tell you how much that spend goes to people within a certain radius from outside the site and i don't always think we've been as good as we should be in telling that story successfully that you're not seeing big contractors coming from outside wales sucking up the profit mm-hmm. uh, and actually you are seeing outcomes for a local workforce and local businesses and it's then also about just this point of being able to grow the local economy in any event. You know, the foundation economy and looking at that everyday economy is really important. Procurement spend is important, but we need to equip people with the tools to succeed in business in any event. So that's why you look at skills, you look at apprenticeships, you look at mm. the workforce who are going into a business and how you help businesses to grow in any event. The statement I gave yesterday on the Development Bank for Wales. Mm-hmm. They do things with small and medium businesses. Mm. They give them capital to grow. They can be patient in how that capital is repaid. And our business Wales service is there to help give people some advice to help them to survive. And actually, people that use that service, uh, they value it really highly. And a federation of small businesses value both the Development Bank and Business Wales as well. And they'd like to have something like that Mm. in other parts of England too. So we do get some things right, but... We need to make sure people are available with the help that's on offer. Mm, okay, and are aware of it. Yeah, absolutely. I hope this podcast gets to as many people who know someone or could help. <laughs> yes. Thank you. That was all. That is all.
Well, lovely to meet you. Thank lovely you for making to the time. Lovely to you as well. Thank you very much. Thank you. This was a lovely interview. Thank you. Take care. <laughs> you too. That was great to hear. Thank you, Wahura, for bringing us that interview. What I really want to know now is what was your biggest takeaway from that? One of my biggest takeaways from this interview is when he talked about his uni days and how the president of Cardiff Student Union, her presence and her aura and how she carried herself during those um, political student events that they had and how her presence inspired him to get into this world of politics. He also talked about um, surrounding yourself with people who will challenge you, surrounding yourself with people who are aware, and not just people who will, yes men, people who just agree with you, people who will tell you, okay, you could do this better. And I think that's very important because sometimes we focus on how you want a support system that's for you, but sometimes you need someone to correct you and, you know, show you the way, even if it's not what you want to hear. Yeah, absolutely. I think we can all learn from that, can't we, about taking constructive criticism isn't it (laughs) well and also he was talking about her you know being a woman of color um and and that is um inspiring and encouraging in itself isn't it if you can't i've heard said that if you can't see it you can't dream it um and i think that leads us really nicely into how he was talking about how people do or do not see colour. You were asking a question about that, weren't you? Oh, yes. So I asked him about um, the challenge of... Because sometimes you hear people say, oh, I'm not racist, I don't see colour. And that in itself is not the best way to approach the situation of racism because you need to recognise colour. And not recognising this colour then means that you're not recognising the challenges, you're missing out on opportunities that people of colour will show you opportunities that you otherwise would not have seen. And he also talks about how when you have like a diverse um, workforce, how your chances of being successful are higher. And not just diverse in race, diverse in disability, diverse in age, just all sorts of inclusivity makes the workplace successful overall. The more the merrier. Mm, mm, definitely. And he was talking about unconscious bias as being, you know, he was talked about it in a very positive way, didn't he? He wasn't saying, oh, you have unconscious bias, therefore you're evil. He was saying, like, it's a positive thing to recognise, to recognise your unconscious biases for all of us to do it. And once we can recognise them, then we can address them. If we choose to pretend that they're not there, then we can't move forward, isn't it? Yes, definitely. And I think what I loved about his positive spin, because I think when you talk about unconscious bias, the first thing that people think is like, no, I'm not doing that. No, it's not me. But it's acknowledging that, yes, you may have it. We all have it. And it's not a personal attack on your character, on you as a person. It's just recognising, just recognise and move forward from it, with it. Yeah, yeah. And that, what he was talking about in terms of avoiding, you know, why it's important to be inclusive and to have um, a range of just thoughts and ideas and ways of looking at the world and experiences in a team is about avoiding groupthink and improving decision-making. And that was a huge theme throughout your whole chat with him, wasn't it, about decision-making being really important to him. Definitely. And as you said, yes, groupthink, I don't think there's any situation where it's a great thing to have. And especially in these times and for this month and the months coming forward, it's good to 
think outside the box. It's always good to think outside the box and get opinions from people outside of your space. I think you asked him uh, who he found most admirable, didn't, who he admired the most, didn't you? Oh, yes, yes. And his answer was Nelson Mandela. Of course, I'm not surprised, but I think what stood out the most was how he viewed this um, theme of decision making and how, for example, he talked about how sometimes you may not want to do something, but you need to do it. So it's not about your feelings. It's not about um, how this situation right now may not seem like the best thing for you, but ultimately it's, it will have a positive impact on not only yourself, but even people around you, even a country, for example, like Nelson Mandela when he was jailed and then he ended up being the president. But that period where he was incarcerated was not the best situation, but it helped him and helped make this story that's inspirational to other people, such as himself. Mm. Mm-mm-mm. There were loads of times he kind of talked about decision making, wasn't it? And, and uh, you know, L- Nelson Mandela making dif- difficult decisions. When Vaughan Gethin was explaining about, was answering your question about how do we explain to a child um, what your job is? And he was saying, well, it's about making difficult decisions. Um, and it, it, the same thing with his superpower. Uh, it wasn't flying, was it? It wasn't, you know, being able to see through walls. It was effectively how to make good decisions and how to understand and come up with good solutions to issues. Um, and I really loved that about him. Yeah, me too. That was one of my favorite. I feel like he answered that so perfectly. Even the way he described and said that, for example, his business is about making choices for a country on how to help people and how sometimes you may not have the funds, you may not have the ability to, but your intention is to help people. It's for the people. And I think that really personalized the political arena and made it seem like, yes, it's just other human beings trying to make other human beings' lives easier and better. It's fantastic. Brilliant. Well, Wahura, thank you very much for that. Um, it was uh, really, really lovely to be able to hear, like you say, uh, to see a different side from um, a, a really prominent politician in like Welsh life. Uh, so thank you very much for your, your work on that and for bringing that to us. I really appreciate it. You're welcome. Thank you so much for having me. And yes, I hope everyone enjoys this podcast as well. Yeah, and it's been great working with you, Uhura. I'm looking forward to uh, working with you again. Yes, me too. Me too. Let's put it out there in the universe. <laughs> yes, let's. okay so um we have a range of podcasts that are online so our listeners can go and have a look at other podcasts that they may be interested in um if you want to discuss anything with us then as i mentioned at the start our email address is advice at hubcumryafrica.org.uk um or you can visit our website thank you very much thank you thank you for having me Bye. Bye.